We as a church have been working through the book of Galatians, and so I'm going to invite you to turn back to that book and Galatians. We'll begin in the second chapter today, and I'll add my word of welcome uh, as Ramon did, so thank you uh, for being here with us today. I want you to imagine for a moment that for the vast majority of your life, you are actually in jail. And you know the feel of the cold iron doors. You know the the stifling environment of, of someone telling you what to do and when to do it. And not being able to go out and do the things that you would like to do. And that's all you've known for decades. And then on one glorious moment, the doors open. And you are able to walk out into freedom. And you are overtaken with emotion. As there are now endless possibilities before you. This has been the moment you have waited for. And as you enjoy this newfound freedom for 20 minutes, a group of guys come up beside you and push you and place you right back into that jail cell and close the door behind you. What we've been learning in the book of Galatians is Paul had gone into this region of Galatia and had preached the message of freedom. That if you want to be justified, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be declared righteous by God, you do that by placing your faith in what Jesus has done and faith alone. And you enter into this freedom that you have. And this freedom message was declared consistently in these churches in this Galatia region. Many new Christ followers surfaced as a result of receiving this message of freedom. But something has happened. Some false teachers or false brothers have slithered their way into these churches and have provided a message. Yes, you you are saved by faith, But not faith alone. You must be circumcised. You must obey the Old Testament law. You must observe these Jewish festivals. And these false teachers have have placed them right back into that jail cell of bondage. What we've been learning over these weeks in our study of Galatians is that Paul is angry about this. Because he has taken the freedom away. And what he is going to do today is he's going to confront the false teachers. And we're going to hear the story of that in the first ten verses of Galatians chapter 2. So would you follow along with me as we read these ten verses? Paul says, Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went out because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of a false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment 
so that in the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave their right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Our Father, as we have read these verses today, we see a confrontation. We see conflict. And I think for many of us, when we see conflict, we want to run away from that. It's very painful. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's uneasy for us. But particularly in the second chapter of Galatians, we see blessings that can come from conflict and how we see the church actually benefited and become unified as a result of conflict. So if it's necessary for us to be uncomfortable today to hear these words, as we learn about a blessed conflict, I pray that you would convict us and that you would give us the courage to look at our own lives and to address areas if we need to have conflict in order to ultimately achieve the unity and fruitfulness that you want of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'd like to take a different approach with this passage. What we see here is a story. We see here Peter, or rather Paul, confronting these false teachers and actually bringing his gospel message to the leaders of the Jerusalem church. We see a conflict. And what I'd like to do today is actually look at the blessings that can come from a conflict. And so we're going to oversee this story and just touch down every so often and offer some truths that come from conflict. If you think about it, God has this overall arching purpose for all of our lives. And that is that we would come into a relationship with the Father that we be forgiven of our sins. And those of you who are in this room this morning, His will for you is that you would become more and more like His Son, Jesus. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, We make it our aim to please Him. As Christians, God's will is that you would become more like Jesus. And one of the tools in God's toolbox to make us more like Jesus is not only the Spirit of God, not only the Word of God, not only praying to God, but suffering and pain in one another and conflict. Here's the big idea today. God is committed to you becoming more like Jesus. And he will use people in your life to accomplish this purpose. Can I get an amen to that? He does, doesn't he? 
So I don't want you to see the word conflict today as a curse word. A godly father and a godly mother, if they're doing it right, will bring conflict even to their little children. Little daughter, you have not loved your brother as you should. And so we want to talk to you about that. Yet You will reconcile and demonstrate love to your brother. There's the power of the gospel is available for you to do just that. A, a godly husband and wife, they will have conflict. They need to have conflict because they are not the same. Men and women are different and two people are different. And if we're doing our job, we're telling one another the truth and we don't always see things the same way. And so we get this grace of God that we can love one another even through our differences. In the workplace, there will be conflict as the employer lays out his expectations to the employee. And when those expectations are not met, it's his or her responsibility to have some conflict, to say, we need you to to perform better in this particular area so we can have a maximum output. And it's even true in the church. John the Baptist confronted these self-righteous Pharisees and said to them, you must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus cleansing the temple, saying, you've taken this house that was supposed to be for prayer and made it a place of business. Even Jesus to Peter. When Jesus declared he'd go to the cross, Peter said, no, no, it's not so, Lord. And, And Jesus confronted him. So today, I want us to look at the blessed conflict, conflict in our life that can actually serve us well. Sometimes conflict actually is is an irritation in our life that God assigns to our lives to prove that there's something else going on that really needs to be addressed. I've got a dear friend who's quite a bit older than me, and a couple of years ago, he had this shortness of breath. And as he was working, he was like, man, I just don't have my stamina that I typically have. And he's a veteran, so he went to the VA hospital. And the doctor gave him a heart test. And when he did so, he realized that he had all sorts of blockages around his heart and had immediate emergency surgery. And this shortness of breath was just an inconvenience, but it was showing something much more significant that was going on in his life. A few years ago, I had a a vehicle. And the power steering was not working. The fluid was leaking below the vehicle. I took it to a mechanic and I said, could you just change and and fix this power steering? And when he hoisted the vehicle up, he said, there are so many problems with this vehicle right now that this is not safe for you to drive. This is actually a good thing that this happened because you could really get hurt if you continue to drive this. And some of this small, this conflict in our life could reveal some root sins. i tell you what some of mine are. Some of the times that I avoid conflict is because, well, I want people to like me. I have this, this tendency to, to fear what people think of me, so I'm not wanting to step into conflict. Other times there's absolute idols in my life, like comfort. Well, if I do this, I'm not going to be able to be comfortable. And so God will assign conflict in my life to help me to rule and deal with these idols in my life. So what we see in this passage are a couple of different principles that I want us to look at together. The first thing I want us to see 
is that some conflict is worth having. Some conflict is worth having. If you know the context here, Paul has come and delivered this message of freedom. And these false brothers, that's what he refers to them in verse 4 of chapter 2, these false brothers have secretly come in and they have brought a false message that says, no, you don't, you're not just saved by faith, you're saved by faith plus circumcision. And so the, the real debate here on the table in Genesis, rather Galatians chapter 2 is what do you do about circumcision? They are saying that in order to be right with God, yes, have faith in Jesus, but in addition to that, one must be circumcised. And in Genesis chapter 17, God did ordain circumcision to Abraham and his descendants, but not to Gentiles, to Jews. Conversely, what we see in chapter 2 verse 3 is that Paul says, but even Titus who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And to make his argument, Paul is saying, I've got a friend, a friend named Titus, presumably that many of them knew he was a godly man. He had a reputation. We read in other places in the New Testament where he was actually a leader, a pastor in the island of Crete. And Paul is making this point. There is no one that would argue that Titus doesn't bear fruit. He does bear fruit as a Christian. And his point is, he is a believer. He's a pastor. And he hasn't been circumcised. And to these false teachers, they would say, well, that's not possible because a Christian must be circumcised. And Paul says, well, look at Titus' life. And this leads to conflict. And we see this conflict in verses 1 through 10 But we actually see it, I think, in the 15th chapter of Acts. We see what's called the Jerusalem Council. Let me read these first four verses to you. It says, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So we see that there is this debate. There are some hills that are worth dying on. And Paul has concluded rightly that getting the gospel right is worth dying for. So they will enter into this conflict. Because if you don't have the gospel right, you don't have a church. So the first truth that we see about conflict is that there is some conflict worth having. Sometimes it's worthy, and sometimes it is necessary. Here's a second truth we see from this passage, and that is to seek the Lord first before engaging in conflict. Look what it says in Galatians 2.2. He says, I went up, Because of a revelation set before me. Here's the point. That Paul did not go to Jerusalem because he was angry and he had an axe to grind. He went up to enter into this conflict because he had a revelation. He had a word from God. God had made it very clear that there were some differences here. 
And there needed to be a conversation in order to straighten that out. So seek the Lord first before engaging in conflict. While in conflict, here's a few different questions you might ask yourself. One, is it me? If we're feeling like we've been offended, feeling hurt or feeling wrong, one question for ourselves is to say, am I the reason for this? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 3 and 4, why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You might have a a difference right now with another person or another people, and everyone's aware of it. But one question you ought to ask yourself is, am I the cause of this? And if so, then let me own up to it. Let me lead the way in resolving this conflict. Secondly, another question we can ask ourselves is, is it worth it? Has a scripture been violated here? Or has my own personal preferences been violated? Sometimes what we get offended over says more about us than the offender. We can be very petty. We can be oversensitive. And our judgments over doctrines and preferences can be blurry. And listen, sometimes people make innocent mistakes. And it might be a value for you to go to that person and say, could you just explain to me why you said that or why you did that? And it could be that there's a very logical explanation and you can have it immediately cleared up. Sometimes we in the church get confused about what the may and the must are. What the people, these false teachers are insinuating is that one must be circumcised. Paul is saying that is not the gospel. If you want to get circumcised, go ahead and get circumcised, but one must not have to do that. And we can do the same thing. We can argue over, well, you must agree with what I agree about spiritual gifts or alcohol or eschatology or or parenting approaches or, or music. You must agree with me. But what we must agree on is, is the gospel. So a question that we would ask ourselves is, is it worth it? Or is this just one of those cases where we might just absorb that hurt and just extend forgiveness? Here's another question we can ask ourselves is, is God leading me? And that's exactly what we see here in verse 2. That Paul had a word from the Lord. He'd received a revelation. God had said, this is what I want you to do. It's a matter of obedience that you get this settled, that you get this gospel message cleared up. Yesterday at the Silver Birch Ranch, we were in the afternoon, and I was with some men. We were sitting around a table there. And I said, guys, let me just ask you a question. How is it that we can know the will of God? And so we just began to talk about that concept. And so a question might be, well, how how would I know if God is leading me to, to enter into a conversation with someone that has offended me or hurt me. Let me just give you a few thoughts to that. One, God speaks to those who are saved, the saved life. God's will for you is to 
humble yourself to, to receive the gift of forgiveness through what Jesus has done for you by faith alone, by grace to receive that gift. And then as a child, he'll lead you. So there is the saved life. There is the surrendered life. I was telling my 18 year or 17-year-old son, who's, who's now beginning to think of life after graduation, I said, you know, seeking God's will is a little bit different than entering into the military. I think when one enters into the military, they'll say, I will enlist if you tell me what job or jobs that I will go to. And if that, if that suits me, then I will sign up. But when we surrender to God, we say, God, wherever you send me, I will go. Here's a blank sheet of paper. I've signed the bottom of it. And whatever you want of me, I, I, I am all ears. So there's the surrendered life. There is the confessing life. That is to take the speck out of your own eye. James put it this way. Put away all the filthiness and rapid wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So am I confessing the known sin in my life? Am I obeying what the scriptures have clearly taught? If not, then why would God tell me more? He's, he's given to me already so much of his direction. That leads me to the meditating life. What I mean by that is just meditating on God's Word. God speaks through His Word. And we cannot know God's will apart from God's Word. And so are we abiding in His Word? Are we living in His Word? Are we reading and memorizing? And this is how God leads us. And then there's the praying life. God, what would you have me to do with this hurt? What would you have me to do with this difference of opinion? Are you leading me to confront this person? Now, I personally don't think very good on my feet. In the times where I sense that he is leading me to talk to someone, I will often just make a note, make some notes, and say, I think this is what I'm supposed to say when I get with that person. Is If the Lord is leading you to confront another person, then thirdly, the third truth that we learn about confrontation in this passage is to, three, talk directly to that person or persons who have offended you. That's what we see here in verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. We saw in Acts 15 where first he confronted the false teachers and then he has a second conversation with the inner circle of the leader of the church, capital C, there in Jerusalem. That would be Peter, that would be John, and Jesus' half-brother, James. So when we are in conflict, we don't talk behind their backs, we talk directly to them. Jesus taught in Matthew 18, verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It's astonishing how often we can feel offended. And what we do is, is talk to someone else about that rather than the one who has offended us. Jesus said to do this with great urgency. 
Listen to what he said in Matthew 5, 23 and 25. If you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know what he is saying here? He is saying those of you who are teaching Sunday school class, those of you who are serving the Lord's Supper, offering a message, singing a song, coming for worship, even before you do that, if someone has offended you, you are to reconcile with them. Let someone else teach that class. Let someone else serve the Lord's Supper. Let someone else serve in the nursery. Take your place because this is so critical that you reconcile with one another. So to be able to come to a person, meet with them, not in an accusing tone, but allow that person who has offended you the opportunity to explain themselves. And you know what the result is here? Something magnificent. Clarity. Look what it says in verses 6 through 10. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, look at the last few verses, the last few words of verse 6, added nothing to me. Meaning, as he presented this gospel to the disciples, that's John, that's Peter, that's James, Jesus' half-brother, they didn't change that gospel at all. Verse 7, on the contrary... When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he would work through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. As these leaders of the church heard Paul's gospel, they offered the right hand of fellowship. What that means is an agreement. You know what? That's the same gospel that we heard from Jesus. It's the same gospel that we preach ourselves. Paul, that's the same gospel you're preaching. There is one gospel, and it's, it's being preached. And what's taking place here is these false brothers, these false teachers, they're the ones that are offering a false gospel. And so as a result of this conflict, listen, there's clarity. There's clarity on what the gospel is. He preaches the same gospel that Peter, James, John, and our Lord Jesus preached. This leads us finally to conflict often leads to unity. And unity often leads to fruitful ministry. What a magnificent thing here. God had put it on Paul's heart. You need to confront this. You need to go and you need to make sure that we are all on the same page with this gospel message. He does. And now there's just one gospel. The gospel is by faith alone in Christ. And now it goes out powerfully. But there's something that's taking place here. You, you saw it there. Paul and Barnabas are going to be going out to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. Meanwhile, 
Peter. He's going to be going out to the Jews. And their approaches might be a little bit different, but they're going to be preaching the same gospel. So as a result of this conflict, there's unity. And as a result of this unity, the gospel is now going out and it's being multiplied to not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And then they says in verse 9, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Likely this is referring to the poor Jews. And if you remember the New Testament story, Paul is all about taking up an offering and taking it to the poor Jews there in Jerusalem. When we step into godly conflict, often we will experience unity. Our relationships may be stressed initially, but they can be deepened through face-to-face conversations about offenses or perceived offenses. So I want to just leave you with this question. If God is entirely committed to your sanctification, if God is entirely committed to you becoming more like Jesus... As a result, he will allow there to be differences of opinions. There will be conflicts at times to, to address some of the root causes in your heart. If God is entirely committed to you becoming more like Jesus, are you entirely committed to becoming more like Jesus? I'm no stranger to adversity and trouble and conflict. And I'm probably the biggest wimp when it, in the church when it comes to that stuff. And I don't like that. And, and my tendency is to shy away from it. But when I have my eyes on Jesus to realize this is what he's really trying to accomplish here. As he's trying to make me more like Christ. It changes everything for me. Instead of shying away from stuff. I see as an opportunity that is being presented to me to become more like Jesus. You know what happens? He is always faithful to provide his spirit and his power and his insight to do just that. So as we work through this passage today, hopefully you'll see that conflict isn't always bad. In fact, thank God for conflict here in this passage. We need that because as a result, we got one gospel and it's been preserved for all these generations. The underlying question for us today is if God is entirely committed to us being like Jesus, are you? I want to end at the cross today. Jesus absorbed the conflict between sin and judgment in order that you may walk in right relationships with others. It was Jesus in the Beatitudes that says, Blessed, happy, joyful, content, fulfilled, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Here's what I'd like to do for our, our invitation today. Is let's, just, let's just have a time where we're praying and say, Am, am I all in on becoming more like Jesus? And if so, pick the trouble in your life. 
Is there a doctor appointment coming up? Is there conflict right now you have with someone? Is there a financial strain? Is there some sort of pressure that you're feeling? Is there a burden that you have? And to say, God, I'm all in on becoming more like Jesus. Whatever it looks like to use this irritation and this pain in my life, then please use it because it will be so worth it to grow in my relationship with you. So as the music team comes, I want us just to to dedicate this time of reflection and ask, by the grace of God, are you all in to becoming more like Christ? Father, I pray for you to search our hearts at this time. I find myself, when trouble comes, I, I complain and I murmur. And I miss the whole point of what you really want me to do is humble myself to be restored with others and to to call out unto you for grace, for your spirit to work in my life and see you work in ways that I never normally would if I just sat on a couch and pursued comfort. You are calling us to grow in our faith. And I suspect there's opportunities all around us and help us today to have our eyes open to say, use this appointment. Use this conflict. Use this burden. Humble me through it. Help me to look up. Give me insight as to what you would have me to do with it. Church family, as we sing this song, I invite you here at the altar. If there's a way that you uh, sense that the Lord is leading you, maybe it's just like I'm all in. Whatever you want to do to use whatever pain, whatever blessing, whatever hurt in my life, I want to become more like Christ. And you know what? One of those roots could be what people think of you. What if I come up front? Man, what are they going to think of me? Well, here's the truth. All of us are sinners. All of us are in need of grace. And so who in the world cares what others think here? Why don't you just come, if the Lord puts it on your heart, and just pray. Let's have a a sacred time of prayer together.